Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Happy Labor Day! Speaking of laboring, today we're going to talk about how to make life a lot easier, at least for surgeons and possibly for uh, patients as well. Robotic surgery, can it really lead to lower complications and a faster recovery? Does it make a difference in the long run with overall recovery from any type of procedure? Well, we're going to find out. Dr. Charles Kim is in the studio today. He's a urology expert, and we're talking about how using the latest in surgical technology can make a difference in the operating room and beyond. As always, we'll be taking your call. If you've ever had robotic surgery, we'd like to hear from you. Talking about a robotic procedure with using the Da Vinci robot. What a neat name, Da Vinci. So you can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Kim, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, thank you very much. Happy Labor Day. I'm glad to know laboring is a little easier for you. (laughs) Tell me about this Da Vinci robot. How long has it been around? And, And try and give us a mental image of what this machine looks like. So the um, Da Vinci robot is actually a robot that has been around since um, the late 1990s. And uh, this concept of a robot uh, doing surgery was uh, conceived by the military and NASA. And this was uh, something that they wanted to explore. And and so the idea was that we will be able to do telesurgery, telemedicine or telesurgery. We will be able to operate on patients remotely. So an example of this would be uh, a soldier who got injured in the battlefield, and then he would put onto a truck where they had um, the medics. This is at the battlefield, and then there would be a robot, and they would get the patient ready, and they would dock the robot. The surgeon would actually not be there. He would be at the hospital, and he would be able to do the the surgery remotely. And so this was the concept that um, the military was working on. And then later on, industry became involved, and industry began to do a lot of the research. Uh, da Vinci um, was taken was from the company Intuitive Surgical, and they uh, started in the late 1990s, like I said. And, and so actually they did a surgery, uh, cholecystectomy, uh, a gallbladder in, removal, okay. That's right. And the, sur- and the patient was in France, and the surgeons were actually in New York. So they were able to do the surgery remotely. That was the first operation of that kind. So the military's goal was to be able to provide absolutely top-notch care, possibly even in the field with some of the soldiers who might be injured, et cetera. And from that, the the civilian world said, hey, you know what, we might be able to use this as well. Has it actually been used on the battlefield? They were doing research with it. Did they use it at all? Uh, No, I don't know. They did not. Okay, so then civilian world said, hey, we will. We'll do it. Sounds kind of cool. So this was, I assume, a trial. There's plenty of surgeons in France. They can take alcohol bladder. So I imagine this was just to prove that you could be in a different country and do a surgery. And I, I assume it was successful. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, so actually nowadays we're not really using this technology to do surgery remotely. But usually the surgeon is actually in the same room or the room next door. Um, 
and he's able to actually direct this robot virtually. So if you can imagine, this robot has three components. So there's the tower, and this is the actual robot, and it's on wheels. It has four arms, and these four arms articulate. So it has two articulations. So it has like an elbow, kind of. It has like a shoulder and an elbow. Okay. And three of the arms will hold uh, instruments. So we have these uh, surgical instruments, these long surgical instruments. And what's also nice about it is that they have wrists on these instruments. So the, it's just like having an arm and a hand, and it can have 70 degrees of motion. And so we're able to use that, that technology. Um, the surgeon sits at a console away from the patient. And this console, it looks like a simulator. So he has these eyepieces, and he can look into the, uh, through the eyepieces and look through the camera that we are using. This camera is actually has two eyes, so it's three-dimensional. Our view is three-dimensional. And so we have a fantastic view. It's, uh, it's an HD. It's uh, magnified. It's in 3D, so better than real life. And uh, we're able to actually see where the camera's pointing to. And then by um, using these hand controls and feet controls, we're able to direct the motion of the robot. So if you're the person on the table, you would kind of, first of all, you'd be asleep. Okay, so you might not be seeing this. But if you were to be witnessing this surgery, you would see see a, a person on a standard operating table, and then above them would be this this robotic device that's kind of above their head, has these arms, and has these these articulations with the wrists and the elbows and the shoulder that actually can go in and do a surgical procedure. And so, you know, it, it kind of, it makes it seem like where the surgeon is, is kind of, you know, like behind the video game console almost, like the coolest 3D HD possible video game that you could play, only it's not a game, it's real life. That's right. Did you play a lot of video games when you were younger? Well, yeah. You we, do now. <laughs> we do now. Asteroids, we used to play. Uh, okay, like you're that. dating yourself <laughs> now when you say asteroids. <laughs> I'm not going to ask, but okay. So early video mm-hmm. games, you were an early adopter. You played mm-hmm. Asteroid. Okay. And so now, I mean, from the sounds of it, the way you make it, uh, the, the way you make it sound with a three-dimensional view, with the ability to sort of twist your wrist in positions that are greater than a human being could do, that why would you ever do surgery without the robot? Now, when you first started doing training, that was a time when they first started with something called laparoscopic surgery. And for folks who may not understand that term, you you have the ability to go through a small scope to go into a surface like like the belly, and you can maneuver different instruments using just a small little as a small little incision where you can insert this long, thin tube and put things through the tube. So open surgery is what most people think of. Cutting open might be what you might see dramatically on TV shows, etc. Then they turn to laparoscopic surgery. Now we've moved to robotic surgery. You've practiced with all three of those. Tell me what the difference is as a surgeon what you see when you're doing those different types of surgeries. And do you see that people seem to have better recovery now that we're doing less invasive surgery? Well, yes, of course. Uh, patients do um, much, much better when they have laparoscopic or robotic surgery. So when I started out, you know, most of the surgeries were open. 
And uh, and I think that was, uh, for myself, that was great training because uh, as we convert to laparoscopy, I was able to um, use a lot of the skills that I had acquired doing open surgery and apply it to laparoscopic surgery. Uh, now, laparoscopic surgery is, again, what you said, minimally invasive surgery where we actually uh, use little port sites. We make like four little holes into usually the abdomen, and through these holes, we put ports in. And the ports, um, uh, we would put like a, like a straw-like instrument uh, or straw-like sheath in, in which we can put instruments in. One of the ports would have a camera. The other ones would have long instruments, and we have like little um, scissors at the end or graspers, uh, needle holders, and we would do what we, people may call chopstick surgery. So an example of that is, like you said, the cholecystectomy. The cholecystectomy, in the old days, we make a big cut, and, and uh, we had to cut through a lot of muscle, so the recovery was very, very slow. And now that we were able to do this laparoscopically, the recovery is remarkably much, much quicker. The patients get, get out of the hospital sooner, um, and there's uh, less pain. However, we're not able to do this for all surgeries. Some surgeries are much more difficult to do. An example of this is a radical prostatectomy. And a radical prostatectomy is an operation where we remove the prostate, mostly for prostate cancer. But it's a much more complex and technical operation, and we have to do a lot of sewing. So when we take the prostate out, we have to reconnect the bladder to the urethra, and that takes a lot of sewing. <clears throat> and we really cannot do that purely laparoscopically. It's technically very, very difficult. And so this is where the robot fits in. We're able to do very complex motions using the robot. We're able to mimic our hands and our wrists, and we're able to, um, tra this translates into doing minimally invasive surgery for these kind of more complicated cases. So the open surgery, the surgeon has the scalpel, the surgeon's doing a lot of that procedure, him or herself. The laparoscopic surgery, it's still the surgeon at the end of these these tubes. They call them trocars. It's still the surgeon who's doing these various different types of procedures through this long tube operating these instruments. And now we've moved to, hey, you know what? That's such a small space. What if we were able to have some other device, thus robotic surgery? Because you can now have the fine-tuned ability of a surgeon with their hands in an area where maybe it's smaller than your fingertip and you can't really do sewing in such a small space as a human being. But boy, if you could control a robot and be able to see that area, they could do the procedures in the small space that we couldn't. Yeah, that's right. So the um, surgical instruments that we use... Um, They've uh, got to be tiny. Oh, yeah, they're very miniature. So, for example, the scissors we use is the size of maybe your fingernail, uh, the needle holders also. And then, as, as we mentioned, uh, the uh, field is magnified. So we can um, get some... We can see the um, images or see the structures that we um, are looking at at such... Great, great detail. So this makes a big difference. So um, when we sew things together, when we try to repair things, uh, we have s such more precision in what we're doing. 
I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Charles Kim. He is using the Da Vinci Robotic Surgery System over at Polymomi Medical Center. And we're going to be talking some more about what is the difference between surgery done robotically and surgery done any other way. And what surgeries can be done robotically uh, when when we uh, continue our conversation. But remember, you are always a part of this. If you've ever had robotic surgery, where you kind of want to know, is this a surgery that could be done for different types of procedures? You'd be surprised. We're going to talk about what those are in just a minute. You can join us at 941-3689. Toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You know, when I think about robotic surgery and how far we've come from open surgery, it's kind of like trying to explain to somebody in the 90s what an iPhone is. I mean, when you think about it, the way that technology has improved dramatically just in the last, I would say, five or six years, let alone 10 years, things have gotten so much better and easier and accessible. And it seems like with the same evolution of technology computer-wise and what we can do with the Internet, et cetera, now we're looking and seeing how technology can really transform how we physically do things in medicine. It's one thing to transform records and to document things in a computerized system. It's another thing to actually have computerized use of your hands, which is such an incredible amazing tool that you've developed over decades that now you can use that technology to help you to do surgery that you even couldn't have done, what, 10 years ago? Not even possible. What sorts of procedures are ideal for robotic surgery? Not just in your field of urology, but for what sort of surgical procedures would people um, be given this as an option? Okay, well, first of all, in urology... um Again, the the one operation that we do a lot would be the radical prostatectomy. Uh, there's great, uh, like we had spoken, there's great advantages of doing the um, Da Vinci with uh, for a radical prostatectomy. Also, kidney surgery. So, um, especially partial nephrectomy. So, a partial nephrectomy is where we will remove a mass from a kidney. So, usually this mass is going to be a cancerous mass. And we don't want to take the whole kidney out sometimes. You know, if the kidney, if the patient has renal insufficiency or if the mass is small, it's, it's a shame to take out the whole kidney. So we're able to do partials. Uh, the hard part about doing a partial laparoscopically is the sewing of the bleeding blood vessels. And uh, so with the robot, we're able to sew very efficiently. And so that, this is a great um, operation for the da Vinci. We're doing a lot of hysterectomies. Um, <clears throat> gynecology has um, done a lot of, they, they have may, maybe the majority of the surgeries now using the Da Vinci robot. And so they're, they're doing um, radical hysterectomies as well as benign hysterectomies. There's some controversy about that. Uh, in general surgery, they're doing a lot of colon operations. They're doing pancreas, spleen, stomach. Uh, so uh, almost any surgery you can imagine that you do in an open manner in the abdomen, you're probably able to do laparoscopically with a robot. In thoracic surgery, we're doing a lot of lungs and um, pneumonectomies or partial pneumonectomies. In uh, ENT, they actually try to use it uh, sometimes for thyroids, uh, things like that. 
So really, there's a lot of different applications of this particular robotic technique. Anything that would be hard to access require very small space or require very um, perfectly positioned sutures to make sure that someone recovers well. And certain organs don't suture well. The pancreas, for one, is very difficult as a tissue to try and manipulate using any sort of a suture or a stitch. So it sounds like there's there's lots of different surgeries, and maybe what we're doing even now will build upon and fast forward five, ten more years, and people might have a whole new list of surgeries that are available to be done through this technique. Now, from the perspective of the person who's having the surgery, what is it that they may notice? From your open to your laparoscopic to your robotic. These are, you probably had patient cases of cases you've done from when you first started to now. Recovery time, pain, need for medication, ability to get up out of bed. What is, how is that experience different for those individuals? So for the patients who have the uh, purely laparoscopic or the robotic surgery, of course, their recovery is much, much quicker than someone who has open surgery. And so their their hospitalization is shorter. Their need for medication and pain control is much better. And um, they get back to their regular quality of life much quicker. Again, with laparoscopic surgery, you know, you're able to do more simple surgeries, um, fine, just doing it pure laparoscopically. And then the robotics actually adds a dimension to that where we're able to do these more, much more complex surgeries. Um, and we're able to give them the benefit of laparoscopic surgery. Um, cosmetically, it's much nicer. You don't have an incision. You just have little, little pukas. And so without those incisions, that also leads you to the conclusion that you don't have to cut through a lot of muscles. And when you're cutting through muscles or when you're cutting through other body areas, there's a whole recovery time associated with that in addition to the actual procedure that you had done. That's right. That's right. So like um, when you do a partial nephrectomy, you have to cut through a lot of muscle to get to the kidney. And so that's really um, one of the most... um, the reason why these patients stay in the hospital so long and their recovery takes so long. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Charles Kim. We're talking about robotic surgery. He is at Polymomy, and he is a urology expert. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about different types of procedures that can be done using this surgical technique and maybe where the field of surgery is headed. What else could happen out there? We've got robots Maybe now we'll have nanobots. Who knows? It's just medical technology is advancing endlessly, and it's great to be alive and practicing and part of it. Remember, you can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. How often do you think about what goes into that sandwich in your child's lunchbox? And I started to realize that the ingredients actually were probably no healthier nor fresher than the packaged ones that pleased my kids. I'm Amy Scott. Processed foods, your kids' lunches, and the U.S. military. Next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Learn how the Green Book used to help African-American travelers find a safe welcome around the USA. 
People who are a certain age have memories of the Green Book and how it was so helpful to them on the open road. And hear about the gentle rivalries that persist between Norwegians, Danes, and Swedes. Norwegians, we tend to understand the Swedes better than the Swedes understand us. On the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Charles Kim, and we're talking about robotic surgery and urology and what are some of the procedures that are now being done in a much more Uh, much quicker fashion, I would say, in a much more advanced fashion than they were even when he and I were in medical school, which was shockingly longer ago than I think either one of us would care to admit. I do believe I might have played Asteroid once or twice. (laughs) All right. And if you want to join us when we're talking about robots, tell us what your thoughts are and where medicine is going and hopefully see how much more advanced we get as time goes on. Remember, you can. 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, before the break, we were talking about quicker recovery times, and I wanted us to maybe give an actual example. You know, sometimes we say quicker, and, you know, as physicians, we think quicker is, hey, you're back in a day or two sooner than, than previously. But we're talking about a dramatic difference. So for the average person... The average man who might undergo a radical prostatectomy, a major prostate surgery, when they had this procedure done through the old approach, through an open surgery, how long might they be in the hospital and how long might they be recovering at home, trying to get back to themselves before they even get to work? So most most patients would stay in the hospital at least uh, three days, three to four days, um, and their recovery would um, take about s- four weeks to six weeks before they really kind of felt about 70% back to normal. When you do a robotic prostatectomy, most patients spend a night in the hospital, and you know, usually within a week, they're pretty good. Um, most patients will have pain for about uh, three to four days. That's significant. Now that after that, um, the, their pain control is much, 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 much better. Wow. So, I mean, we're talking about the difference between one night in the hospital versus on average three and one week out of work, out of life, et cetera, versus possibly up to a month. That's a dramatic difference. And that's with the better minimally invasive surgical techniques of using the robotic surgery. Now, is has there ever been a situation where maybe you've started a procedure robotically and for whatever reason you need to change it to an open procedure? Has that ever happened? Uh, yes, that's that's something um, most patients need to know, that uh, there are risks with any kind of operation. But uh, in robotic surgery or laparoscopic surgery, there there sometimes is a need to convert to open surgery. So this is situations where there may be bleeding or something like that. Um, fortunately, is that's very uncommon. Uh, it does happen. More usually when you do kidney surgery than prostate surgery i think is i think in the, the last last 9 years i think we only converted one patient to an open operation while doing a prostate 
Wow. So there is a risk, but it's a very small risk that you would potentially have to change that to an open procedure, which is still an excellent procedure. If you're getting rid of a cancer or a tumor or something necessary to have removed, it can still be done optimally under minimally invasive techniques. But should there be some catastrophic change during surgery, you can always change it to an open procedure and still hopefully achieve your primary surgical goal, which is to take out the mass or the tumor or the cancer or whatever you're trying to remove. Now, when we talk about kidney surgery, a lot of people, um, when they think of the kidneys, they don't necessarily think you could do a partial kidney removal, but technically you could do a partial, we call it a partial nephrectomy. So you would take out part of the kidney and, and that might be necessary for a mass or for something that's growing in the kidney that shouldn't be. What happens to the rest of the kidney? Does it like bulk up and grow back? No. So um, whatever part of the kidney that you remove, it will not regenerate. So the kidney kidney will stay, if you take out 75% of the kidney, uh, then you know, you'll only have 25% of that kidney that will be functioning and it's not going to increase uh, over time. So that is actually very important to know because you know, that's why partial nephrectomies are very important. Uh, to use uh, when we take care of our patients. Um, you know, many patients have chronic renal sufficiency. They have diabetes. They have hypertension. And so um, in order to try to prevent them from going into renal failure, going on to dialysis, things like that, it's, it's, um, if we can do a partial nephrectomy safely, then um, the, there definitely is a benefit for the patient. Keep as much of that kidney in there that you can if it's functioning well and it's healthy. Yes, and we have a lot of advances now, um, not only in, in robotics. For example, we have an ultrasound probe that we can control with our robot arm. So when, I, when I'm sitting at the surgeon's console looking through the, my eyepieces, I see a three-dimensional view of the kidney. And then I can actually have, put my ultrasound probe into the abdomen, control it, and there's an inset where actually I can see the ultrasound images while I'm looking at the three-dimensional view. So I can, look, I can put the ultrasound probe over the kidney. I can see where the mass is. So I can um, use that information to make sure that I don't cut into the growth itself. And then we also have other things. We have something called Firefly. And Firefly is fluorescence. And so we can give this... Um, substance, icy green, we inject through the vein, and it will actually light up the blood vessels. So we can see the artery and the vein. And so we know where all the blood vessels are in the kidney. And then another very interesting thing is that sometimes the mass will differentially absorb the icy green differently than the normal kidney. So you can actually see the mass being outlined. So all these little advances have made surgery much more successful. Well, and if you can differentiate between blood vessels or not and healthy kidney tissue versus unhealthy tissue, you can target your surgery and take less of that kidney if you don't need to. You can really target that location of the mass. Mm-hmm. That's correct. So in doing so, you're able to preserve more of the healthy kidney, and hopefully that particular individual having a healthier kidney left 
or a greater amount of that healthy kidney will be able to have more time to improve their renal function. Hopefully, they won't have the diabetes or the blood pressure, or the cholesterol, or the other the other issues that could negatively impact that kidney function continue. They can get those things under better control. So are those the procedures for which you predominantly use robotics would be kidney surgery and prostate surgery? Mm-hmm. Uh, also for kidney surgery, we also do a lot of reconstruction. So for example, there's something called pyeloplasty. Pyeloplasty is where the collecting system of the kidney is abnormal. Most of the time it's congenital. And so the drainage of the kidney is obstructed, and because of that, the kidney function begins to deteriorate. So um, we actually cut the disease segment of um, the collecting system out, and we re-sew the the two ends together. So this is another operation where the the Da Vinci plays a big role. Uh, We're also doing a lot of um, uh, bladder surgery using the Da Vinci too. We can do partial nephrectomies. We can do radical nephrectomies. So, um, and, you know, again, these patients recover much quicker. So when we're talking about doing some of these procedures and surgeries, it really, it behooves the surgeon to be able to have the robot available because then they can really work in a small confined space and do a much more precise and accurate surgery because of the fact that they have these additional elements. You can have Firefly. You can have a variety of different imaging techniques. You get to see things better and therefore make your incision in a location that is the best optimal for that particular situation. So it really sounds like, I mean, honestly, it makes me think, how did we do surgery before? Were we just cutting at random? And there are many things that have brought us to the point where open surgery is an excellent option and choice for some folks and still today can be an excellent way to do surgery. So, yes, there's a lot of advancement of robotics. On the other hand, there's still that excellent procedure. So if you need surgery, you're in good hands, whether it be with robotics or open procedures. But, boy, if you need to have robotic surgery, uh, this is a great time to be part of it because they've, they've, they've perfected it a bit. The FDA approved the Da Vinci robot back in, I think, 2000 for use for, you know, major commercial centers, or basically any medical center that's not military-related. Um, that's when it started to be used. And there so far, I think I was looking up earlier, there have been over 1.5 million surgeries worldwide since 2000 with using this minimally invasive technique. Now, are there any types of procedures for which you can tell when you see somebody that they're not a candidate for robotic surgery? Would there ever be like a size of tumor or a size of, of a person or something that would make robotic surgery just unable to be done? Well, I think for the size of a person, uh, there's probably no restrictions. Um, We have ports that are extra long. So for a person who who is overweight, um, you know, using the the Da Vinci robot is actually uh, not a contraindication. In fact, sometimes it's easier because uh, if sometimes when we do open surgery um, on patients who are overweight, uh, it can get quite messy. Uh, and the incision has to be quite big for us to see and visualize what we're doing. Um, but it's quite amazing how if you put ports in and then you insufflate the abdomen, you can actually see quite well. That's pumping air in there so you can move structures out of the way. That's right. That's right. And then, um, but there are some times where, you know, 
robotic surgery is not um, the best option for a patient. For example, um, for myself, when a patient has a very, very big kidney mass where they're more of a candidate for having a full nephrectomy, to me there's not an advantage of using the robot for that. That, that surgery is not too difficult to do purely laparoscopically. So um, I, I tell those patients that they should do this laparoscopically, not with a robot. So size of a mass might be one of the reasons why they would not be a candidate for robotic surgery if, or type of procedure you mentioned. If you have to take the whole kidney out for a medical reason, then it may be just as easy to do it laparoscopically. No huge benefit to the robot. No, no detriment to using it, just it's not going to help them with their outcomes or their recovery. That's right. And, of course, if you do it purely laparoscopic, you know, um, the cost is much less. Is cost ever an issue when we talk about robotic surgery? Is there ever a situation where insurance might not allow the robotic surgery? Well, the, actually, um, although robotic surgery is more expensive, this is not absorbed by the patient or the, or the insurance company. Uh, the hospital really cannot bill extra for having a robotic surgery done. Uh, so usually, um, whether you have a laparoscopically or open or robotic, the, the price is the same. Now, a lot of times, patients stay in the hospital much shorter, so the hospitalization is like maybe one day versus three. So in some ways, that's how the hospital recruits their, their costs, and also by volume. So if you do a lot of robotic surgery and you're a high-volume center, then then then. All that extra savings that you're getting from two days less in the hospital, et cetera, that all adds up over time. Right, right, right. So the true use of robotic surgery really came out of the idea of making the experience better and the medical recovery better for individuals. That was really the initial reason why it came into the civilian world. Uh, yeah, so again, you know, they the... Um, people who uh, were working on this project, the SRI project with the military, they, they realized that there was a lot of um, applications for this robot that they could use um, in the non-military um, medical field. And so, um, uh, and they really, since, since they uh, had the FDA approval, they really expanded um, the use of this robot. Where do you think surgery is going to go now? I mean, you started out in open surgery, learned laparoscopic techniques. Now you do robotic surgery. Where do you think it's going to head after this? Well, that's that's hard to say. There there is new technology out there where um, we we have uh, no incision, and so we have um, I don't know what you call them nano robots, but we we actually put um, these uh, little um, robots which are controlled uh, by the surgeon and we actually can make an incision in like for example the the stomach so you would put put these uh, little robots into the stomach make an incision they will go into the abdomen do their surgery that you control come back to the stomach sew up the stomach and then you can bring them out so okay, this sounds like science fiction. Like, I feel does. like I'm reading a Michael uh, Crichton book. So I think know? this has been done in animals. Um, there's a lot of animal models for this. It hasn't really been applied in humans yet. A no incision surgery. It 
It's like Star Wars all over again. <laughs> Only it's actually really happening. God, that sounds pretty awesome. So that may be where we're headed is instead of this big robot console. And just for just for the sake of visualization, how big is the robot in the operating room? So the robot is um, it's about five to six feet in height. And then from there, uh, the robot arms come out. The robot arms are about three feet in, in length. Um, and again, they have uh, a shoulder and an elbow. Um, and so some, you know, it might kind of look like an octopus to you with just four arms. Uh, and then it drapes over the patient. And so you, you, the um, the surgeon actually will be at the bedside in the beginning, docking the robot along with the OR staff. And um, we, once the ports are put into the abdomen, the um, robot arms are attached to the ports, and then through these, through the ports and through the robot uh, arm, actually the instruments are introduced into the abdomen. Um, so again, it's about five feet by three feet in length. And then again, the, the surgeon sits at a console away from the patient. So how big would your console be? Would it look kind of look like the old-time video games? It would look like, uh, like a driver's ed simulator. Um, you know, when you, or, or like, for example, if you go to an amusement park and you're going to ride drive one of those cars in like a race, it, it, it's about that size. Okay. So it's a pretty big console. And are you standing or are you sitting? No, you sit down. It's, it's, it's very good for your back. I would think so. You know, long surgery, we don't want the surgeon to get injured. Have them have a nice, comfortable place to sit. And your console is in the same room as the patient having surgery, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. That's right. So, for example, um, in some centers where they do a lot of surgery, uh, they might have uh, one console that's hooked up to two robots, and so they'll have like a room A and a room B. And so he'll he'll be doing surgery from that one console on room A, and then uh, when that part of the surgery is done, he can actually uh, toggle and go to the room B and do the surgery there through the same console. And then in theory, in theory, the the um, the sur- a surgeon could actually be in a different city, and and do the operation. So you know there I, there's ideas where uh, you have an expert surgeon who would actually help you do the operation. So there might be two consoles. And actually at, at Kapiolani Women's Children, we have a robot with two consoles. And so there, this way the resident and the attending can both do the surgery. And this allows the resident to do as much as he can safely. Um, the attending surgeon actually has the console that can override the other console and then he'll take over when he needs to. But again, um, a surgeon could be rem- be doing the surgery remotely. So, you know, in theory, you could have an expert who may be in Chicago or something helping you do a surgery in L.A. with another surgeon who is actually in the room with the patient. It just seems like the applications for this are so far-reaching that after we get over the idea that this is possible, that you know, you could have surgery and your surgeon might be in another location. After we adopt that, you could have the world's expert in any particular procedure help out your surgeon locally here in the island, should that be the case, if they have the setup done correctly so that you could have such an arrangement occur. You would get the benefit of greatest surgeon who's done this rare procedure lots of times, and yet not even as a patient have to leave 
your own home city. Right, right. So there, that's a very interesting thing because, um, you know, like at HPH, they had in, in the summer, they had the summer student projects, uh, research projects. And one of the projects was looking at uh, doing major surgeries here in the islands um, without needing to go to like a... Um, a major big, cancer center, sure. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yep, Dr. Maldini was involved in that. And they were looking at outcomes of major cancer surgeries here versus, I think, MD Anderson and Fred Hutch in Seattle and uh, and another, I think, the NIH. So they were looking at surgery done here compared to there because of the advantages of having your family and having everything around you and having your recovery be able to be done in your own location. And they found it was somewhat comparable. That's right. And, and maybe one of the applications for this kind of technology and future technology is that you can have your surgery done here by another um, surgeon remotely or virtually. Um, you, of course, you would, you would involve the surgical team and your doctor here, but you can get the expert who, who's done a thousand of these and help, help, so that, help the surgery so that you don't have to travel. Another amazing application. Just today in the, in the lead article of the Star Advertiser, there was somebody from a neighbor island talking about the cost of air ambulance transport right, here to Oahu. And so, you know, we know about costs and we know about flying away, particularly locally here. We're very familiar with that because of the fact that sometimes that has to take place. So what another great application. It sounds like it's Another way that we could see surgery changing in the near future. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Charles Kim. We're talking about robotic surgery and what are the applications now and what are some of the unique things that people here in the islands could benefit from given this new emerging and ever-expanding technology. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about different types of procedures that take place both with robotic surgery and without, and some of the other potential applications. And just when you thought it was all just science fiction, nope, it's coming true. Now, remember, you can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Love is the strongest force on earth only when bolstered by the right array of throw pillows and duvets, the correct mixology of rugs and ottomans. Funny Furniture, this week on Selected Shorts from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m. following Travel with Rick Steves. Hi. This is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat every Wednesday night from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you then. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Charles Kim, and today we're talking about robotic surgery. He is a surgeon at Polymomi Medical Center and an expert in the field of urology, and we're talking today about the Da Vinci robot in honor of Leonardo Da Vinci and certainly something unique that is here in the islands right now that's being used to help surgical outcomes for patients who have surgical procedures 
right here. And the reason we do that is because there's been plenty of evidence to suggest that recovery is faster and incisions are smaller, pain is less, lots of good reasons why this would be a great surgical possibility now and even into the future. And, you know, I mean, we talk about dreaming about what it's going to be like in, you know, in the next five years, but I can already see applications where having this particular device available, not just in the U.S., but boy, you think about developing countries that have no options for having experts come there and stay there all the time and be there. And what if they could invest in some type of technology where they could have the receiving end of this robotic surgery and have visiting people come do surgery, but not have to visit any further than their own local operating room. I mean, just the enormous amounts of applications of this potential surgical blockbuster technique, it just seems never-ending. Uh, yes. In, in, so um, a couple of years ago, I went to China, and actually I talked about robotic surgery to, um, in, in Beijing. And that's what they were talking about. They were talking about setting, setting up some kind of center uh, where Chinese physicians can come and do their surgeries and be supported by American physicians where uh, the, the physicians would be um, through telemedicine, to, through telesurgery, be able to support the Chinese doctors as they're trying to uh, advance the type of surgeries and the kind of procedures they're doing. And so, um, you know, one of the hard parts, of course, is the, the travel and the, the um, expenses of, of going to another country. And so this is one way that, um, you know, this kind of technology would make a big difference. So it is something that has been explored. Well, and we still, I think, have yet to fully explore and or realize the capacity of telemedicine. In certain areas, this is being done. And in some areas, it's being done well. But telemedicine itself has yet to be universally adopted. You know, it's interesting because I often I hear about uh, different stories of people on the mainland and, you know, they go see their doctor virtually. And yet that hasn't yet happened where I'm at, where I'm looking at patients through through any sort of computer screen or any sort of a model like that yet. But I think when we think about trying to make doctors accessible, if we look at it from the model of robotic surgery, you started off with open surgery. So, you know, doctors started off doing house calls, going to patients. Then it sort of became come to my office so that I as a physician can can maximize my time and have people come to me so that I'm not traveling around going to people's homes and therefore that allows me to be maximally productive and see people in my setting with the instruments that I need. The next step is telemedicine. The next step is let's have people have access to medical care when and where they need it, wherever they happen to be. And if there was such a device set up, and I know some folks have done some research out of Carnegie Mellon and MIT looking at this, to have some sort of a virtual way to listen to somebody's heart, to take their blood pressure, check their pulse, do those sorts of vital signs. And as we get better with telemedicine, again, the next evolution is what's already happening, telesurgery. Having a sur- Have you ever been doing a robotic surgery and had someone else at a console sort of also viewing and or doing it with you? Has that happened yet for you? Uh, well, when I went to uh, Florida, um, I, uh, I was able to go to a center where they, they, do, they do have that. So actually, you sit at a console and you help participate with the surgery um, with the attending surgeon who, you know, is 
the world expert. So literally, you were at a console doing a surgery. You had a world expert doing a surgery. You were able to see what they were doing. Right. They could see what you were doing, and you could collaborate together. That's right. And, and so, you know, as, as you're doing the operation, they're, they're actually coaching you a little bit. You know, they're saying, okay, this is, this is how I do it. And, you know, and then they would, sh- they would actually show you their, your, their technique. And then after that, you know, okay, you, you, they would let you do it. And so that, it's, a, it's a great way to learn. You know, you, you, you take the experience of another surgeon and he's able to translate that to you so that, that you are able to pick up those skills. It's a wonderful um, tool. Now, how many robotic surgeries do you think you did before you started to feel extremely comfortable with it? I think about every 25 surgeries you do, you, you hit a new level. So even now, you're getting better technique, able to use some of the various features, the ultrasound, the different technologies, even further than you might have when you first started. Right, right. It's just just like golf. You know, you, you learn the basic swing and... Uh, and then uh, you, as you play golf, you know, then you fine tune it, you know. So, you know, the, the the little things that you're doing might not seem that big, but it adds up that you know it makes a huge difference in your efficiency, um, in your outcomes, um, uh, how how quickly you can do the operation, how quickly uh, the patients can recover from the surgery. So. Um, I would say about every 25 cases, you seem to hit a a new level of uh, proficiency. Now, just like with with golf, we'll say, as your analogy, at some point, you you get to the point where you've kind of mastered your craft, and maybe you start declining a bit, and you're not doing as well as you used to five or ten years previously, and you have to say, okay, it's time to maybe consider retirement. We know that as time goes on, Sometimes, particularly in the field of surgery, if people get older and they can't see as well or if their hands sometimes tremor a little or something medical may happen that they can't continue to do surgery. But if you have the ability to do your surgery through such a precise instrument like a robot, could that technically extend your surgical skills lifetime? Well, maybe in some ways. For example, um, the ergonomics of surgery... um, Doing the robotic surgery, you get to sit down. So, uh, you know, many times uh, when I used to do long surgeries, six-hour surgeries, you know, my back would be sore. Um, But I never really had back problems when I sit down to do the surgery. The other thing is that the the robot um, has a dampening effect. So if, for example, you have a tremor, uh, the robot has no tremor. So you can drink five cups of coffee before you do surgery, you know, everything is <laughs> I don't fine. think anybody wants to know their surgeon needs five cups of coffee before surgery. But I think it's a, it, you know, you brought up something that a lot of folks don't realize, and that is that surgeons are human. And so if you had to stand for five or six hours bent over a small space doing very intricate work with your hands, you are going to have some physical, some physical complications from that. Your back's going to hurt, literally. You're, you're physically going to have things that happen because you're human. And so if we can make that as comfortable as possible at all for you so that your skills can be, your your excellent skills using your hands doing surgical procedures can be kept as pristine as possible by not interfering you with back pain and all these other issues, how wonderful 
would that be? I mean, it's another way to respectfully utilize the surgeon's skills while not putting them at risk for tiring out. I mean, literally. Another great reason why robots are an excellent addition to the technology in the operating room. Now, you've worked with robotic surgery now for for several years, if not about about half a decade, about 10 years. No, okay. Nine. Nine years, years. close enough. Okay, nine years. All right, you're flashing me nine. I'm counting (laughs) ten. Who knows? Okay. So about nine years. How has the robot changed? I'm sure that the actual technology has improved as well. Well, yes, it has. So um, currently we're using what we call the SI robot, which is um, the second generation. Uh, They had the uh, S robot earlier. And actually now they actually have an XI robot. So the XI robot is a little bit... The concept, of course, is uh, very similar, but uh, the arms come from a boom. Uh, so the arms come from above the patient as opposed to um, on the side of the patient. And uh, one, of the, one of the drawbacks of um, robotic surgery is that we can only operate in a certain area. So, for example, if you're pointing the robot towards the pelvis, you can only operate on the pelvis. Um, if you had to go up to another part of the abdomen, you would have to undock the robot, move the robot, and then um, redock it. Reposition the whole, the whole robot because it's not yeah. like you can move the, the patient. You have to move the robot, reset it up, get everything calibrated. That takes time. That's a patient under anesthesia. There's potential complications. Okay. So the XI robot um, has, is on, on a boom. So actually, it, it, you can do multi-quadrant surgery with that kind of setup. And so that's the advantage of the new robot. Plus, plus it's smaller. It, it's been, um, you asked me about the size of the robot before. So this new robot is smaller, so it takes up less space. And the uh, console is also smaller. A lot of advantages. I mean, they've probably taken feedback from surgeons like yourself who have been doing surgery using the original robot to say, okay, here's something we need to look at. We need to look at making more operating fields available should you need to extend your surgery or go into a different area. And we also need to consider that operating rooms, more of them, take up space. And so if you can make your robot smaller, you can have more operating rooms, literally. I mean, just, and here in Hawaii, we know all about space and how expensive it is to have space. And so it's it's another way that they're moving forward. What sort of advances would you think might come next? What are some of the other areas that um, robotic surgical techniques could improve. You mentioned that they do ultrasound, real-time ultrasound now. Are any other imaging capacities available? Well, I know, I know that um, you also have the ability to take your, the x-rays, the, the images from your, like a CAT scan that are done in your hospital, and you can actually put that onto your screen uh, while you're doing the surgery. So if you're looking at a mass in the kidney, uh, you can actually be able to have the CT scan uh, on the same field that you're working on, and this way you can kind of know where the tumor is as, as you operate. Um, and then, you know, there are there have been a lot of advances in uh, the different things that are available to us. For example, we have staplers now that we can control ourselves with the robot. 
So uh, before we would have to ask our assistant to put the stapler in and to staple whatever we want. But now, actually, we can actually put the stapler into that abdomen uh, onto a robot arm, and we are able, the surgeon is able to actually put the staple exactly where he wants. And this is kind of important because a lot of times the angle is unusual. So with the articulation of the, the wrist of the um, robotic instrument, we're able to get into areas that you might not be able to get into um, before. We have uh, new vessel sealers. We have these devices where we can actually um, bovi, burn the tissue, and cut at simultaneously. So um, because of that, we have um, it's faster, and then also there's much less bleeding. So you have, um, and this, again, the same, the same principle has articulation. So you can get into these um, um, places that you might have a very, very difficult time getting to before. Sure, really tight spots, and I think less bleeding for the patient, better recovery. They won't need blood, but besides that, easier for the body to recover from that procedure and easier for the person to get back to living their lives and doing their activities that they enjoy and going golfing and beating you at golf. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, we had one, I had one patient who was an avid golfer, and uh, he... He um, he really he told me one of the things is he really didn't want to miss too many golf days, and so we were able to actually do his uh, surgery in the retroperitoneum using the robot, and he was out. On, I think he was out for only one week before he was back onto the golf course. So, um, you know that's. So you can do surgery and you can get back to your golf game too. Well, and that's important because I think you know if somebody has defined that they're. Their joy in life is based on a particular activity. Everyone's goal is to get them back to that activity as soon as physically possible for them, but also as soon as safe for them medically. So overall, robotic surgery, if you needed to have a surgery done, would you want to have your surgery? Should you need to have one done? Would you want your surgery to be done robotically? Of course. All right. Well, now that's a standing uh, endorsement from a robotic surgeon because you'd want to have robotic surgery done yourself. Obviously, you couldn't do it yourself, but you'd want one of your colleagues to be behind that console helping uh, helping with that procedure. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Kim, for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show, a new, exciting, emerging field that there's a lot to learn about. So thanks for coming in on, on Labor Day, your holiday, to share with us what you do. Oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. All right. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can always click on our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong. Our executive producer is Bethann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to be talking about prostate cancer with some guests from the Prostate Cancer Coalition and a surgeon from the Cancer Center at UH. And we're going to be talking about prostate cancer, diagnosis, treatment, and the latest and greatest in what's going on in that field. And hopefully we will be joined by you too. So don't forget, we'll see you next week, Monday at 5 on The Body Show. We'll see you then.